Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. We still don't get paid what I believe we're worth. I had secretly been wanting to try health coaching. Women have been dropping out. Your body is the next frontier of liberation. You have to monetize. We buy into this idea that anyone can do this. Your body becomes proof. Whether or not we're trying to sell a service or a product, all women are brands. Now I'm a health coach. My name is Kyla Tova, and this is Your Body, Your Brand. Episode 2, Pipeline Problems. I've been struggling with the question of what I wanted to be when I grew up since I first learned in preschool that veterinarians have to give shots to sick puppies, a realization that threw me from that potentially lucrative and passion-based career path and into confusion. I'm in my 30s, and now the struggle to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, well, it's just not as cute. Though nearly every woman I know has some kind of job, the primary occupation of the women around me growing up and throughout my career seems to have been dieting or working out. They don't get paid for it, of course, but it's always seemed like a much more important topic of conversation or personal pursuit than, say, particle physics or politics. And now the internet has legitimized that pursuit into an occupation, giving dieters, fitness addicts, and anyone with a skill in controlling and manipulating the body an opportunity to make a living or at least a couple of extra bucks. So when the workplace grows toxic or prospects seem dim, or we grow disillusioned with the promises that capitalism and you-can-be-anything-you-want-to-be culture have made, we turn to what we know best, our bodies. In this episode, we're going to talk to women who have left the workplace to pursue businesses centered around fitness or nutrition. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the ugly of work culture and to discuss why a body-based business, fitness, nutrition, and the like, seems like a better deal. In some cases, it is, and we're going to learn why. We'll ask the question, if, as Naomi Wolf said in The Beauty Myth, dieting is the most politically potent sedative in women's history, is reclaiming work through manipulation of the body actually a reclamation? Or is it a continuation of the beauty myth in keeping women from success? In other words, is becoming a yoga teacher or a health coach really sticking it to the man? You know, when I first started this podcast, I was mostly interested in the ways in which women persuade one another to drop out of the workforce by modeling their health-focused lives on the Internet. But after a conversation with Carrie Angolia, a digital marketer and creative director who has been writing and creating advertising since 2003, I realized that I was looking at this all wrong. Carrie, who has also founded Yoga for the Revolution and was the producer of its accompanying podcast, said something in our interview that made me realize that while the way in which women communicate with one another about our bodies certainly has an effect on why we drop out, it's not the reason. I asked Carrie, why did she make a decision to drop out of the workforce? Well, I have been in a digital marketing advertising agency world for the last 15 years or so um, as an editor, copywriter, and eventually creative director. And then recently I've shifted from a full-time advertising world and getting more deeply into my yoga practice, my yoga teaching. A lot of this started 
I don't know how political your audience is, but a lot of this started after the recent election where I realized that advertising has always been a little bit troublesome, but I, I, I just got to a place where I was like, wow, none of this matters. This is crazy. Like I'm spending all my time doing this and I don't care if someone who's selling whiskey does a Facebook carousel ad or if they do like, I just, I didn't care anymore. And I wasn't able to do my job particularly well at that point. So I was curious how to take the skills I've learned out of 15 years in advertising and the skills and lessons I've learned doing yoga for the last 20 years and using those tools and try to bring them out and sell them in a way that is different than the the great American yoga machine is currently delivering those tools. Carrie's disillusionment in her corporate job may feel familiar. In the past several years, especially since the election of Donald Trump, there's been a big question floating around. What are we doing this for? If our votes don't count and the world's going to end anyway, why should I care if the rich make more money? Shouldn't I have a reason and a purpose behind my job other than just paying the bills? And with the rise of the Me Too movement, we've only become more aware of how women have been stifled and held back by sexual assault and male sexual control. Although, to be fair, even before Me Too, we'd slowly been becoming more aware of the limitations of the corporate world. Conversations around the pay gap have only been getting louder, and grumblings about mansplaining where a man explains something to you that you're an expert in, heat-peating where a man repeats something that you said and gets credit for it, and other such culturally explosive portmanteaus are only gaining strength as women-identifying people finally air our grievances on platforms like Twitter and Facebook. It's all been simmering under the surface for a long time. And while it feels like we're seeing a rage-filled feminist explosion in politics and pop culture, it's actually been simmering underneath the workforce for years, off-gassing women in small bursts instead of in a single large explosion. But now it just seems natural to ask why stay in a job where your passion is stifled, your creativity is overlooked, you're paid less simply because of your gender identification, and your ideas are considered less than when they come out of your own mouth. I've had every job from retail to cocktail waitressing to adult entertainment to um, working in tech, and I'm also an attorney. That's Amy Bond, who currently owns the rapidly growing pole dance studio, San Francisco Poland Dance, and now Oakland Poland Dance. She's also an author, a lawyer, and a number of other things. Before leaving her job to become a dance studio owner, she was involved in the Bay Area tech world. Of course, listening to Amy's experience, you might think that she hated her corporate career. That's actually not the case. Yeah, I mean, I definitely did have an ugly experience. Um, One of the startups that I don't actually count as a place that I worked because I was only there for three months. Um, I was hired as the uh, director of operations. It was my first operations role. I walked in feeling like a total badass, super excited to own something and take charge. And then I walked in on my first day and the CEO turns to me and he says, oh, by the way, I have an impending sexual harassment case that I need help um, fighting. Could you help me with that? And so that was just the beginning of the worst job I've ever had in my life. Um, I regularly get LinkedIn messages from people who worked at that company saying, hey, I've just left. I'm traumatized. What do I do now? Um, yeah. And, and when people reach out to me, if they should work there because they're hiring aggressively and they can't retain anyone, I just 
say run, turn around and run. Um, I have had one negative experience, um, but that's not uncommon, right? You hear a lot of people have negative experience, especially women in tech. And a lot of it is related to inequality and feeling like they can't grow because they're a woman. And you hear that from engineers and you hear that from um, people who are not engineers, people who work in the operations world or the administrative world or marketing and um, all the auxiliary functions to the creation of the product. And, um, and so I did have one negative experience, but overall I loved working in tech. I loved the thrill and the like up and downs of it and the never knowing what was going to happen next. It always felt kind of like in a very meta way, like I was watching myself in a video game and was I going to like fall down the chute or was I going to like level up? Even at a job that isn't toxic, there can be some pretty toxic structural barriers to mental and emotional health. One such barrier is work-life balance. Especially in Silicon Valley and Wall Street, but in business in general, there's a very masculine, aggressive notion that the harder and longer and more visibly you're working, the better and more deserving you are. If you're the first to show up and the last to leave, you must be better than everyone else, right? If you muscle through your breaks and stay in the office past end of day or close of business, you must be a better worker. Meetings, emails, social media, chatting over cups of coffee. For many of us, these prolonged and often unnecessary hours spent in an office are inhibitory to living the rest of our lives. I mean, that certainly was the case for me. I'm the kind of person who gets their work done in the first hour and then sits twiddling their thumbs behind a computer screen until an emergency email comes in. I think that... One thing that I was exceptionally good at and that <laughs> probably wasn't very good for my career either is that I was really able to walk out the door at 5.30, 6 o'clock every day. I didn't stay because I wanted to show that I was going to be there all day long. I always got in earlier than everyone else. Engineers will roll in around 10 and they'll stay really late, but I rolled in around 8. And I was gone by 5.30 or 6. And that was my day. And I was I created very clear boundaries around my time without actually seeing anything. And people had always asked me, people I worked with would always ask me, like, how do you make time for all the other things that you do? And I would look them dead in the eye and say, I just walk out the door. And they saw that. They saw that I just walked out the door. That said, I don't think that it was ultimately, you know, like because I didn't have that face time, I was able to have a work-life balance, but it also meant that the people I worked for directly, which were usually CEOs, um, respected that and didn't ask me to work more, which ultimately meant that I didn't get the promotions or the raises that everybody else was getting who did put in that, that face time. For Amy, that meant eventually losing her job, although, as we'll learn later, she was able to land on her feet because of a fitness-based business. While the hustle mindset is great if you're a bachelor engineer or a traveling salesperson with no family obligations, houses to clean, or close friendships to nurture, then you're on a path to success. 
But as you probably know, women are still disproportionately responsible for housemaking and child-rearing, even when they have full-time jobs. And for many women who are already feeling disillusioned with the purposeless capital raising for the CEO while seeing so few returns in their own paycheck or on their own career path, the idea of staying in the office until 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. or 11 p.m. instead of going to dance class or having dinner with their children or going out with their friends, well, it just doesn't mesh up. I guess I'm kind of a late bloomer in that um, I didn't like uh, do the typical like high school, college, like get a career type of um, route. I went back to school when like all my friends were starting their graduate programs. Um, but um, yeah, like along, uh, well, before I even finished my first year in school, I got my first job as um, a marketing assistant, kind of working, learning firsthand in the field how to design things. Um, and by the time I was done with school, I, I was kind of jaded already with the the typical agency structure and even working um, within a company on graphics. So um, at the same time, I was wrapping up school. Um, I found out I was pregnant, expecting, you know, my first baby and um, and just kind of decided to jump into doing what I wanted to do and um, running my own business instead of trying to um, change the structure of the companies I was working in. That's Lily Garcia, the woman behind Wild Olive Branding. Though she didn't start a body-based business, she chose to go into an internet business because at the end of the day, working for herself provided the flexibility she needed to be a mother, and it helped her avoid the headaches of working for someone else's company. The thing is, while some companies aren't completely terrible, for a lot of employees, work just really isn't a great experience. I was taught how to design a certain way, and I was, um, you know, learning from my mentors in the design field, um, just like your typical um, process for designing things. And I hated it. I hated it so much. Um, I felt like I was always fighting the people who I was designing things for. I felt like nobody was happy. (laughs) You know, the designers were angry at the clients and the clients were angry at the designers. And I just thought, you know, there has to be a better way to do all of this. And um, I just happened to kind of meet and um, or find out about some really um, great mentors who like I just kind of took in all their content and and um, reach out to them through email and Twitter and whatever I could get my hands on and um, and found a different process that I felt was much more. Um, just much better in the sense that it actually gave me the chance to listen to my clients and give them what they needed versus what I just imagined that they would like. Um, and so in order to work um, with that process that I felt was the best process, the right one to move forward with, I felt like I had to just launch my own thing. Um, And so, yeah, the timing just kind of worked out to where I just had to jump in and do it. And um, it's working out (laughs) so far. 
I suppose that I should take a moment to address the question of, well, what's so wrong with the structure of the workplace? Why is it creating such a miserable experience for so many women-identifying people? And can't the problems just be solved by putting more women into leadership? I thought so for a long while, but after working with women in leadership, I realized that the problems aren't just solved by individual women making it to the top. The systemic problems go way deeper than a diversity initiative that adds a few more women to the executive team. I I do think it's possible, but again, it it sort of has to come from reframing how we think about um, individual success versus success for everyone. And in the case of feminism, individual liberation and power versus liberation and power for everyone who needs it. That's Andy Zeisler, the co-founder of Bitch Magazine, whom we met in episode one. So, you know, I I end up talking about Sheryl Sandberg a lot and the whole lean-in, um, which is sort of a perfect example of this. It's sort of about, you know, um, success in a corporate world built by men for men, um, historically very uh, uninhabitable to women. Um individual women succeeding within those spaces and encouraging other women to succeed within those spaces, but not doing anything to fundamentally change the way those spaces operate. That is about, you know, that's about individual empowerment. That's not about, you know, changing the system so that more women and all kinds of women can thrive. Uh, That is a system that is still going to privilege um, women who become successful, you know, 95% of the time on the backs of other women, on the backs of the women who, you know, are their nannies and their cooks um, and their housekeepers. So that's essentially, you know, empowering individual women at the expense uh, of the empowerment of many, many more women who do not have choices, do not have privilege, and do not have, um, you know, the ability to enter <laughs> enter those uh you know existing um spaces and you know it's it's interesting that i i to me this was such an obvious thing uh when people have talked about empowerment in the past and and sort of talked about like uh the idea that feminism has worked because, you know, Pepsi has a female CEO or Hewlett Packard has a female CEO or a woman can run for president. Um, The idea that the sort of exceptional woman uh, becomes synonymous with feminism is really faulty because it, it, it isn't about, um, it isn't about really thinking about liberation in a truly radical transformative way. It's thinking about, oh, you know, if, indi- if individual women can do as well as individual men and make as much money and have as much power, um, even if they do nothing different with that power, it's still feminism. And I, I guess I've always been disturbed by how few uh, people publicly have really interrogated that until, you know, fairly recently. One of the people who's begun interrogating that is Carrie Angolia, whom we met at the beginning of the episode. She wrote an article about not wanting to see more female role models, and I asked her, wait, should women be moving out of corporate America? I mean, 
for me specifically, that article was came to me more in a time of I don't necessarily want to see more super high achieving executives. I think women should take all the positions, right? Like, yes, let's have super high achieving executives, please, of every gender formulation and color and ability that exists, right? Like, I'm taking that as an a priori. What I was missing is where are my peers? Right. I, at the time, um, I was a female creative director, which is what I do for freelance now. And I worked with a group called the 3% conference, which is about female creative leadership in advertising specifically. And at its start, the reason why it's called the 3% conference is because only 3% of all advertising creative directors were female, which means 97% were male, which is way more equivalent to the percentage of women that run the household pocketbook, right? Women are doing the buying and men are doing the selling. And there's a problem with that. So that conference specifically has grown out of that and it, and discusses diversity in a number of different ways in a, in a more variety of ways. At the time though, I was like, great, I'm glad we're all leaning in. But like now all the people who are my equal are dudes. And I don't know how to be my best female leader if all the people that I'm sitting in a room with are guys. Like it's great that I've either forced my way into that room or I was invited into that room or whatever combination of things happened to get me in that room. But after a meeting with my boss, I want to be able to go for a walk with my girlfriend who's in the same position and be like, now how do I have this conversation? And I want to push in this way. And how do I do do, 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 do. And I want to learn to be able to do that in ways that aren't a mimic, like a female mimic of a male way to do it. Right. Like if you think about the 80s and like the the push for women in the workforce, what did fashion do? It created suits for women. Right. Like here are your shoulder pads, dress like a dude, act like a dude and you'll get far. I still want to act like me and get far. So I don't want to parrot what my male counterpart might do, which is like you walk in there and you tell them what's what and like okay, maybe, and that might work. And I don't mean to make every single interaction gendered, but in this, in this case, like I wanted to know where are my girls at? Like I, I want peers. Like I want a community of women who are all doing what I'm doing. Like I, I, I don't necessarily just want to look up and have mentors. I, I needed peers too. I'm wondering, you know, so how do we do that though without... I mean, so the thing is, corporate America is mostly male, right? I mean, we just know it. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, so how do you create a space where you're not being a female mimic of male patterns, right? Because it's it already is that. So without breaking free of that world, how do you even start? I mean, I think that part of the reason why this is a small slice of why the gig economy is flourishing or maybe 
not flourishing, but is, is, is a thing right now. And I think that, um, women have been dropping out of the corporate world for a really long time and not everyone is having babies, right? Like they're doing it for any number of reasons because this structure doesn't necessarily work for them. So people are building their own structure. You know, we talked earlier about people going into business for themselves and trying to be their own boss and all of that. And some of that I would imagine is a reaction to, well, like this structure doesn't work for who I am. So I need to build my own structure to try to make things work for whoever I am. And again, like how to change work culture? I don't know. I think that that really is the central thing. And I think it's also kind of the central thing that this podcast is trying to ask because specifically women are dropping out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just dropped out <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> you know, like that, that I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Trying to navigate the male conversation was so exhausting. Um, and what's interesting is I did have female peers, but, um, at least at my last job, the way in which my female peers tended to handle my male bosses or male coworkers was to acquiesce, mm -hmm. to be quieter, to give up, to internalize the stress, um, or to manipulate in, uh, coded ways so that they didn't realize that they were like the, the male coworkers or bosses didn't realize that they were, you know, being manipulated and they still felt like they were in control. So when I pushed back, just, you know, was just like, this doesn't work. Why are we doing it like this? I got in trouble. <laughs> right. And yeah. I couldn't go to my female peers and be like, hey, can we try all doing this? You know, I had one other coworker who did that and she just ended up rage quitting. So, um, yeah. you know, because it got to the point where it was like, if you push back, um, the, the main boss will say something passive aggressive about you in the group, in a group meeting while then praising all the male, your male coworkers. And it just got to the point where it was like, this is toxic. I can't do this. You know, in a previous job, I got mansplained how to do my job by someone who'd been in the industry for 10 minutes. Um, so that was fun. <laughs> you know, it was just like it got to the point where it was like, I can't have these conversations anymore. I don't want to do this. And I often I, I agree. I mean, I would have to say the number of times that I've been explicitly failed, right? Like someone fails me. I don't want to say that I have failed, but like be that I have been explicitly failed because I'm a woman are few. It's way more for me in my personal experience, just a systematic invisible force that is incredibly visible when it's all focused on your achievement, right? But but it is it is really nuanced. And I don't necessarily think that the men that I have worked with in my life and even the women I've worked with in my life were intentionally trying to keep me from doing my job in any way. And that to me is almost even more frustrating. I have wanted to say to, you know, women I work with or female bosses like, yo, 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 what are we doing right now? Like, why are you doing this? Can we please be a team? And at the same time, as a boss, and I have been a boss and managed people, I have, you know, worked with people where I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to move, help this woman move forward in this system. I don't know what to tell her to make this work for her. And that's a failing on my part. But it's not because 
I didn't want her to succeed. It was because I, you know, hey, like with the rate, the way this road is built, I don't know how your car travels on it. And, and that's because I have felt the same way. But the way this road is built, I, I can get pretty far, you know, but there's always a cost of like, and then I go home and I, I have to just lay down for the rest of my life that I'm not at work because it's exhausting to just be fighting all the time. And not even, again, to your point, like not even outward or like vocally, but just trying to hold your ground and like trying to fight for the creative work in a way that's acceptable, but also, right? Like I need a table flipping moment, but I also don't want to offend anyone. Like it's, that's a tough balance. And I'm sure that both men and women have to deal with that balance. I only know my experience. I can see, I can have compassion. I can imagine that everyone deals with that to some extent. But in the same way that my life is easier because I was born white, you know, my brother's life is easier because he was born a white man. Carrie hit upon a really interesting observation. The struggle of trying to either present as masculine without getting called a bitch or use your feminine wiles to quietly subvert office politics is exhausting. It's very possible that if you've worked in a corporate job at any point, you've felt the desire to just go home and lie down for the rest of your life. As with any form of exercise, when you overexert your lean-in muscles, you probably are going to burn out. Sometimes that manifests emotionally, sometimes that manifests physically. Personally, when I was undergoing a particularly stressful time at work a few years ago, it actually triggered an underlying chronic illness that I live with to this day. According to a report from the American Psychological Association, women are more likely than men to report having a great deal of stress, 8, 9, or 10 on a 10-point scale. And almost half of all women surveyed said that their stress has increased over the past five years. Women are more likely to report that money and the economy are sources of their stress, and they're also more likely to report that their stress manifests physically, as in headaches and stomach aches, as well as emotionally. Those emotional and physical health problems take a toll. Yet recent reporting in Vice, The Atlantic, and other sources suggests that doctors are less likely to take women's pain seriously. So women turn to alternative sources for pain and stress management. Holistic sources, if you will. We change our diets. We start doing yoga. We find God via soul cycle. And then when people start to notice how our demeanor and our health and sometimes our weight has changed, we discover that we can monetize. And that's really where our story begins. Well, I've been in business for a very long time. I don't remember a time when I didn't have a job. That's Christina Kish, the former owner of Potential, a pole dance studio in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I went to school to study business as well as information systems. And so I started in high tech and I started in soft, uh, software, consumer software. And so I spent a long time um, building software for people to use. Um, it was all consumer. And so I got a chance to talk with a lot of people about how they use things, what they wanted to use, what makes their life easier. So I spent a long time in that industry doing that. And when I decided to leave, I knew that I wanted to have my own business. I had been doing a lot of startups prior to that. And so I was very used to 
having to start something from nothing. And I learned a lot about all of the different facets of starting a business, not just what I was doing or what my um, responsibilities were. And my family had always, my dad was always an, um, a manager. He always like had that kind of experience. So I always knew that I needed to learn all facets of everything in order to be successful. And so when I left high tech, I kind of let whatever was going to guide me, guide me. I was, um, from a personal standpoint, I was managing a chronic pain issue. And in managing the chronic pain issue, I left high tech um, and started looking for like what was good for me from a body kind of standpoint. Health is a tricky thing. So many women move through this world hurting because their pain isn't believed. They're told that losing weight is the answer to most major health problems or that exercising and staying fit is the key to staving off illness and disease. Fitness classes, juice cleanses, supplements, and diet challenges all feel like ways to deal with the symptoms of burnout, stress, and chronic illness. And it's not wrong that many of today's office jobs are extremely high stress while being extremely sedentary. To get out of the office and just move can sometimes feel like a revelation. And so I got really into Pilates and I was trying everything. I was trying yoga, I was trying, trying all kinds of kind of mind body, so to speak, things. And I thought I was, oh, I'm getting back into shape again. Cause when you work high tech, you don't always have time to work out. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I'm getting back in shape. I feel good. And someone had said to me, oh, um, we had this birthday party for one of our friends and it was at a pole dance studio. I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like fun. Like I was kind of just looking to move and have fun. And I hadn't really incorporated dance so much into my repertoire yet. And I had been interested in doing that. And so I gathered a whole bunch of women together from the Pilates studio where not only was I quiet, but I was also teaching by that time. And we went for, you know, what they call a hen party, you know, <laughs> a party. And I took it and I was on such a high afterwards. It was like I got to move. I got to dance. I got to test my muscle strength. I got to do just everything that I love. I was in a space for an hour and a half where I wasn't thinking about my to-do list. I wasn't thinking about how I looked or what I was wearing. or It was just so... um all-encompassing of mind-body. It was the first time I really had done a quote-unquote workout where I felt like I didn't want it to end. Like a lot of times when you work out, a lot of times you go to a workout and you're like, okay, I'm going to watch the clock. <laughs> but, you know, but in this, but in this, I just wanted the music to keep going. Like I didn't want it to end and I was looking forward when it did end to going to the next one. And so I participated in that for about a year. And after about a year, I started thinking about what I was going to be doing with my career. Was I going to go back into high tech or what was I going to do? And it just kind of happened that I decided to open a dance studio. This movement of women towards fitness, healing, health, and community, and away from the cubicle farm and the rat race, is only gaining steam. 
And while most women don't have the money, the time, or even the desire to invest in a whole dance or yoga studio or CrossFit gym, they can still create community and monetize their search for health by selling it back to one another using the internet. So, I mean, my my transition went from corporate job to nutritionist to life coach. So, you know, I'll start from the transition from corporate to nutritionist because I think that that's probably where, you know, the, the influence of the eating ideologies came into play as it relates to changing my, my career. That's Summer Inanin, a body image coach and the host of Fearless Rebel Radio. So I, I, at that time, was working a corporate job, and I remember it was when I turned 30 years old, and I thought, I can't do this for, for 35 more years. I was just like, I can't, I can't do this job for 35 more years. I can't. I was like selling chocolate, not selling chocolate bars. That's <laughs> I was working for, I was working for Cadbury, like the corporate in, in corporate office. And I was managing, um, the, the relationship with Loblaws, which is one of the biggest retailers in, uh, in Canada. And, um, and I just was like, I, I was just done with the whole, you know, just pushing products and caring about pricing and just trying to sell more stuff. And, um, but I didn't know what else to do with myself. And at the time, that was when I was quite obsessed and disordered uh, as it relates to my relationship with with fitness and food. That was when I was like really heavily into paleo. I was really heavily into CrossFit. And I remember having a conversation with a girl that I went to the gym with, and she said that she was pursuing a career as a nutritionist. And I thought, hey, wow that sounds like something that I might be interested in doing too. And I just started to, you know, pay attention to other people who were nutritionists in the online world. And I think, you know, it gives off this really, um, uh, kind of fairy tale of what your life could be like if you became a successful, you know, nutritionist or coach or somebody in that, in that sphere. It seemed like a really attractive thing to do. And it, and it aligned with my ideologies. I was so obsessed with the stuff myself. I was like, wow, I can make a career out of this. Um, and so I, I, you know, went back to school and became a nutritionist and I did that for, uh, a, a couple years, a few years, you know, I started, I started my own business seven years ago and I quit the corporate world five years ago. So, um, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for, for a while. And then obviously, I mean, you know, my story, so I shouldn't say obviously, cause other people listening may not, but you know, when I realized <clears throat> my issues with food and exercise, um, and I realized how disordered it was, um, that's when I pulled back on, on coaching people around food and nutrition and uh, went back to become a, a life coach. For Summer, for Christina, for Amy, for Carrie, leaving the corporate world in favor of a body-based business felt like the right decision. And for these women, it's opened up pathways to financial success, social capital, and better emotional and physical health. In the next couple of episodes, we're going to explore the pros and cons of turning to a food, fitness, or body image-based profession in lieu of a more corporate path. And we're going to ask why this path is no longer the road less traveled. We're also going to talk about money, but not just about the gender pay gap. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know about it. No, we're going to talk about the ways that investments of capital actually affect the way that we create identity. But to put a button on this episode, I suppose we have to ask, 
If you did drop out because of motherhood, health, or gender issues in the workplace, is it really worth it to go back? I mean, I haven't been in the corporate uh, in a corporation for a while now, but from what I've seen, just from the outskirts looking in, because I try to keep my finger on the pulse, because I don't know exactly what the future holds for me. So I try to keep my finger on the pulse of like, could I go back into this? What would it be like? And boy, I just don't see anything that's changed since I was there. So I did it. So I was like, hmm, I don't know about this. <laughs> Christina isn't wrong. Even though the focus on the pay gap and hashtag MeToo and women in STEM and leaning in has intensified over the last several years, women's collective ability to succeed just hasn't changed all that much. So we look to alternative income streams like health coaching and yoga instruction because success in the patriarchal system, well, it just doesn't happen for a lot of women. So I'll give Carrie the last word. My guess is that my vision of success will look different and that you know, I will stay dropped out to some extent. Today's episode was written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Kyla Tova. Dramaturgical feedback was provided by Kendall Lynch. Music for the intro was written and produced by Mackenzie Quattlebaum. Concept photography for the website, social media, and podcast cover art was taken by Risa Scott of RF Scott Imagery. To support this independent, ad-free podcast and help us develop a season two, please consider becoming a patron. Patrons who pledge $3 or more will get exclusive audio, including cut audio and longer, previously unreleased interviews. Just visit patreon.com slash bodybrandpod. And I have to say, I am so overwhelmed by the response to episode one. I just want to thank you all who reached out to me through email, whether that was a written email or it was a recorded voicemail, for for sharing your story and your response and your reaction with me. It really means so much. In fact, I'd love to play just a short clip of one of the responses that I received. This comes from Sasha Rose from Sydney. At the moment, I've been a personal trainer for about two, three years, and I am applying to do a Master of Cultural Studies. Um, because I really want to look more into fat phobic fitness. Um, but the way my story started out is a little bit different. Um, personal training, I've always, I've always felt like a glitch in the system. Like I wasn't supposed to be there. And anyway, when I discovered health at every size, that was the first time I got to breathe and realize that I didn't have to be thin to sell fitness. And then I got massively into it. My, I probably spent, well, I probably still spent less money, but uh, instead of spending that money on a diet program, I spent that money on books and books and books. Um, my bookshelf is bursting at the seam. I've been reading everything, fat authors, black authors, health at every size, intuitive eating, um, all sorts of books, listening to every podcast under the sun. Um, that I possibly can, including yours, which I thought was absolutely fantastic and really resonated with that whole concept with me of me truly believing for two, three years that my body was my brand. And if my body was not thin, then I would have no brand and I would have no business and I would make no money. And funnily enough, I actually found that I've thrived more and been more in control when I've been working for myself. It's scary being self-employed because I've believed that being employed by somebody else would offer me that security but being fired illustrated for me that that's not the case I'm actually 
much more secure running my own business, having my own clients and being in charge of my own income. And I can't believe how much, like, the thing that I thought would make me thrive was thinness. But pursuing thinness is exactly the thing that prevented me from thriving. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> that's a little bit of my story. Are you a health coach, yoga teacher, personal trainer, or wellness entrepreneur of any kind? Have you considered becoming one? Well, I would love to hear your story and potentially share it on a future podcast. You can send me a text email or better yet, record a voice memo like you just heard and email it to yourbodyyourbrand at gmail.com. Well, that's it for episode two. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.